Hi everyone and welcome to the Allplane podcast where we talk with the movers and shakers that are redefining the future of commercial aviation. As usual, before we start, let me remind you once more that all previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, are available on the Allplane website. That's allplane.tv. A-L-L-P-L-A-N-E dot TV. Today we welcome here to the podcast a true pioneer of sustainable aviation. And I would like to start with a personal note here, because when I started researching the sustainable aviation space, one of the first companies that I came across was Zero Avia, a firm that is developing what, back then, sounded like a rather exotic technology, at least in an aviation context, hydrogen powertrains for aircraft. Fast forward just a few years and today Zeroavia is one of the most prominent emerging players in green aviation, with several sites across the UK and the US and funding from the likes of Shell, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is a fund linked to Bill Gates, Amazon, the IAG Group and both American and United Airlines, to name just some of the most prominent investors. In fact, we had Zero Avia CFO already here on the podcast about two years ago when we were just getting started. But so much has happened since then, including the whole hydrogen economy going mainstream, that I thought it was time to catch up again with Zero Avia's team and see what they have been up to lately. So today's guest is none other than Val Miftahov, the founder and CEO of Zero Avia. With Val, we review the status of the Zero Avia project and its technology, as well as, of course, its next milestones. We also talk a little bit about Val's previous entrepreneurial experience and the reasons that led him to work in the hydrogen economy. So tune in for a short but very intense episode with one of the leaders of the green aviation revolution. Hello, Val. How are you today? I'm Cal. Good, good, good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for, for being here today on the podcast. I know you are a very busy man because Zero Abia, I mean, it's been amazing. Like the last year, pretty much every other week, there was some big announcement. Uh, you've been active in, in many different fronts. Let me start by just a short presentation of, of who you are. You're the founder of Zero Abia, which is one of the one of the companies when I started covering the sustainable aviation space, that was one of the very first companies that I came across because you you've been a, a really a pioneer. Right now, everyone is jumping on board the sustainable aviation ship, but you you were there one of the first. So that's why I think it's uh, you know so interesting to have you here today to get a quick overview of of where you guys are. Before I introduce you, just a very very short note: it's not the first time Zero Avia is featured in this podcast because we had the chance to speak with uh, Katya Kulinicheva, the CFO, a couple of years ago when we were, when we were just getting started here on the podcast. And, and you were already a, a very promising startup at the time. Um, a lot has happened since then. So I think it's a, it's a good time to recap now. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and, and how you started this project? Yeah, sure. Uh, and thanks for all the uh, kind words. Um, so yeah, my background is physics, uh, I'm a physicist by training. Uh, got my PhD from Princeton here in the United States, um, and um, then uh, spent some time uh, in academia. Uh, decided that uh, this is a little bit too uh, too dry for me, and uh, no sort of immediate impact uh, on how people live. So that's when I moved over to uh, to the business side, then some time at McKinsey Company, um, to management consulting, then Google, uh, really like the digital revolution. 
and uh, was at Google for uh, a number of years, ran uh, a number of things, um, including some product uh, development, engineering. And while I was at Google, I started uh, what was initially a sort of personal project uh, in the uh, sustainable transportation, my first project uh, in that area. This was uh, electric vehicle uh, conversions. So built uh, uh, my first electric cars uh, myself. So wow. uh, a, a nice... Uh, uh, 124 uh, Spider, uh, Italian Fiat uh, convertible, a uh, little car converted to electric and BMWs, uh, and then decided to form a company around it. So that became uh, uh, my previous company before Zeravia, uh, which eventually morphed into um, the largest uh, network of smart uh, grid enabled um, uh, electric vehicle charging uh, systems, uh, so software, hardware services, and then um, uh, we sold it to uh, NL, uh, the largest uh, utility in the world. So that was five years ago. And that's uh, when I launched uh, Zeravia. So um, I was always uh, into aviation. I'm a pilot myself uh, for the last 20 years. Um, you know, helicopters, airplanes, uh, you name it. Uh, I love it. And uh, I didn't want to see industry um, disappearing effectively, which is uh, what will happen if we uh, don't solve our uh, pollution problem, our climate uh, impact problem. Mm -hmm. And in aviation, uh, as we started thinking about it, in aviation, uh, it's not just about carbon, it's about high altitude emissions, high altitude particle emissions, um, high altitude, high temperature water, vapor emissions, um, uh, nitrogen oxides, all those things. Um, so the solution is, um, should be avoiding combustion overall, but uh, we'll talk more about it. But that's in, in a way of background. Uh, that's a quick background, how I got here. Mm -hmm. Just for, for the people in the audience that might not be familiar, Zeroavia is um, operating in the, the hydrogen economy. You basically, you're using um, hydrogen as a primary fuel to drive a, a fuel cell and the aircraft. You've been already testing this system you've got uh, operations both in the us and in the uk at the moment if i'm not mistaken right. and you've got basically two uh, at the moment uh, two or three correct me if i'm wrong different powertrain models in the making one is the one called the za 600 which is for a let's say a, a smaller plane a 9 to 19 seat plane you are also working or you are planning to start working on another, uh, which is called the ZA2000. It's going to be for a bit uh, a larger plane, up to 90 seats, like 40 to 90 seats. And, and you're even considering uh, another powertrain for, for regional jets. Um, so what can you tell us now about this project? Where are you? Where do you stand now? I think you were planning to get certified with the smallest of those by 2025. So two years from now. And yeah, what are the next milestones? Absolutely. So um, you're absolutely correct on the uh, uh, lineup of the product. And our strategy is um, it's uh, hydrogen electric, as we call it, right? So hydrogen fuel cells and non-combustion. And that allows us to get the entirety of climate impact um, or 95% plus out of the equation. Uh, we take both carbon out uh, with green hydrogen, but also all the combustion effects that I talked about, all of those move out as well. That allows us to have almost complete uh, elimination of climate impact. And with a growth rate that aviation has and should have, because um, it's a, a very important part of society, moves people around, connects uh, cultures, connects people uh, together, connects you know, businesses, moves goods. Uh, so it's really, really important uh, for um, 
uh, global economy and global society. So it should grow. Uh, we should move closer together and faster. So with that growth rate that we have seen, if we don't do anything, then aviation can become the largest contributor to climate change by 2050. So some numbers um, uh, are thrown around there, third-party research, 25, 50%. So really important to solve the entirety of the problem. And to do that, you have to get away from combustion. So hydrogen electric is our approach. Uh, we start with smaller aircraft, um, it's called Park 23 aircraft, uh, sub 20 seats. Uh, the reason is that the regulatory environment is easier. It's already a multi-billion dollar market. Um, and you prove the technology uh, to the rest of the market with this application in commercial service, uh, safe operation, and then it becomes easier to go to larger aircraft. Uh, we're already working on the ZA2000, the um, 600, by the way, is 600 kilowatt uh, system, right? So about a thousand horsepower uh, shaft power. And that's indeed uh, used uh, in a 10, 10 seat aircraft or a nine seat aircraft, a single engine and 19 seat, up to 19 seat twin engine uh, aircraft. So that's the type of the engine there. The 2000 is two megawatt uh, starting shaft power. And it goes into, uh, on the lower end uh, of that spectrum, it goes into the aircraft uh, like ATR or Dash 8, uh, which is 40 to 50 to 70 to 80 seat uh, aircraft, depending on the uh, uh, on a configuration of aircraft. And then, of course, regional jets. Now, the regional jet engine for us is the um, upper trim of ZA2000. So ZA2000 is built in a modular way that can scale up to 5, 6 megawatts shaft power. And that upper level of power goes into regional jet. We already have built prototypes of all components for ZA2000 and are testing them now, right? So the development is quite well underway. So that, that's one of the things that we were able to do in the last, especially in the last 18 months on the technology side. And on the ZA600 side, we have flown a number of prototypes already. Um, we have just, um, built and received permit to fly uh, for our largest prototype to date, which is a 19-seat uh, vehicle in the UK, mm -hmm. uh, the okay. aircraft called Dornier, yeah, the Dornier 228, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get received permit to fly finally uh, from the CAA, Civil Aviation Authority there in December, uh, which is mm -hmm. a, uh, quite big news. Uh, and now waiting for a good weather day to uh, uh, do our first flight uh, in the UK, which is a little bit challenging, uh, you know, uh, in the <laughs> middle of yeah. the UK winter. But yeah. uh, uh, but looks uh, uh, the next couple of weeks look good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you've been pretty um, much involved with uh, the, the UK uh, programs to basically push forward in the in, in, the, in the, the clean aviation space. Um, you can you tell me a bit more about your your uh, participation on on these programs because you've got a base in in the Cotswolds, right? But you are also active in the um, I think in, in, in up in Scotland uh, where there's this uh, sort of test ground for all sort of clean aviation technologies. Uh, what can you tell me about about these projects? Yeah, so uh, we love UK. Uh, UK was uh, very good for us uh, throughout the years. Um, so I started a company in California and still, uh, you know, headquarters for the company are in California. Uh, but um, we now have five locations uh, throughout um, US and UK, right? So in the US, we opened up Seattle location uh, last year, um, I think maybe end of 2020, uh, 2021. Um, so 
open the Seattle location to access the um, uh, the talents there and some of the partners. Uh, we've uh, signed on some of the um, uh, operators and investors there. So Amazon is, um, uh, of course, based in Seattle, one of our investors. Uh, Alaska Airlines is one of our launch customers based in Seattle. So that that's that location. In 2018, we started uh, thinking about um, European uh, presence, and we actually did quite a bit of work in uh, understanding various markets uh, in Europe and decided that UK uh, had the best combination of intrinsic uh, reliance on aviation being an island, uh, effectively, right? So um, as a percentage of all transport uh, and emissions, frankly, uh, for the UK, aviation is a much larger uh, percentage than typical for uh, a developed country. Then attention to the industry from the government as a critical industry, uh, aviation was always um, uh, very important uh, for the UK. And uh, then we looked at the funding environment um, and the UK has uh, Aerospace Technology Institute, which is uh, uh, the world's leading, I think, agency for specifically aviation R&D. Of course, um, you know, uh, NASA in the US, for example, is larger, but um, most of the funding goes to space programs um, and a little bit um, in terms of percentage to aviation. ATI, Aerospace Technology Institute, is entirely dedicated to aviation. And mm -hmm. um, most of their work was moving to sustainability. So that's how we got to the UK in 2019, uh, got our first project, first uh, landed, uh, so to speak, in uh, Cranfield uh, University, yep. um, just north um, of London, then outgrew that place. And that's how we moved to Cotswolds um, at uh, Ralph Campbell. Uh, former um, Air Force Base. Uh, great place. Uh, love the owners. Uh, they love uh, what we're doing. So uh, really, really good working relationship there. We have a large World War II uh, hangar there that we've um, redone inside uh, to uh, host uh, one of the uh, one of the best R&D programs now in, uh, in aviation. And then late last year in September, we have acquired uh, another company called uh, High Points. Um, yep. And that uh, added uh, another location in the UK for us. Um, they were based in Kent, Sandwich, Kent. Um, so opposite uh, direction uh, from London, from Cotswolds, uh, about the same distance. Mm -hmm. And um, these, this team added to Zeravia the uh, core technology in high temperature uh, fuel cells, which is going to be um, critical for uh, high-performance fuel cell-based power plants. Um, yeah. And this is really the best uh, company in that field. I, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, myself, I'm not an expert on the on the technical, the nuts and bolts of how these uh, fuel cells work. You also work with, a, or have an agreement to work together with a, a Swedish company called PowerCell. Then you acquire High Point. What role do each of these partners play? Are they compatible or they add to each other? or? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we now have um, a pretty deep relationship with PowerCell. We have announced some things uh, last year. Um, so PowerCell systems um, are quite mature. They're going to be uh, the basis of uh, several different uh, heavy-duty applications, the road applications. Uh, Bosch, I think in 2019, had selected them as the basis for their uh, automotive heavy-duty automotive powertrain. We started working with them back in 2019. 18, I think. So what's yeah. a heavy duty application in, in this context? Uh, trucks. Okay. Yeah, large, large trucks. Yeah. Class eight, uh, uh, 
large 80,000 uh, pounds okay. you know, trailer. So, uh, and that's generally, you know, anywhere from 200 uh, to uh, 600 kilowatt sort of on the fuel cell side, right? So that, that's the type of power you produce. So, um, and, and some of the uh, application characteristics are similar uh, actually to aviation, how they think about reliability, how they think about um, uh, degradation and operating environments. Um, some of those things are similar. So that was a good match. Um, so that's a more mature technology, but um, there are some uh, intrinsic uh, disadvantages uh, of uh, the standard technology uh, for aviation. For example, um, all those systems are liquid cooled. And that means that um, you have to have an additional uh, cooling loops uh, inside the system, inside your overall power plants. That adds weight, um, that adds some uh, additional systems that you have to now certify, qualify, and uh, maintain. Yeah. Uh, so there is uh, some benefit from air-cooled systems at higher temperature. Um, and you need higher temperature in order to have air cooling, because otherwise you have too much surface uh, area to cool and you can't get heat out uh, very effectively. Um, so that's where the benefits of higher temperature, they're less mature technologically, uh, is really the cutting edge of uh, where the fuel cells uh, are today uh, on the technology development. Uh, so we see those potentially um, being applicable to our ZA2000 power plant. Uh, it's a larger power plant um, that's slated for launch in 2027. Our first uh, uh, 600 kilowatt systems um, will be launched uh, based on power cell systems, based on <clears throat> the uh, low temperature liquid cooled uh, systems, where for small planes, they deliver uh, great performance. And as, as I said, you know, they're more technologically mature, so their level of risk is lower as well, right? So mm -hmm. they're really um, at the company roadmap level, they balance each other pretty well. The hydrogen, gas or liquid? Uh, initial launch uh, uh, gas for the small vehicles. Um, yeah, but then we will, uh, once we go liquid uh, for the large aircraft, larger aircraft in 2027, Mm -hmm. then we'll have an option for smaller aircraft to go liquid as well. With liquid, you know, the, there are, of course, uh, issues um, with the uh, certification. It's a more complex system, right? So uh, certification challenges are or um, bar a little bit higher. Uh, still quite possible to certify, but um, not in the 2025 timeframe, we think. Um, the bigger problem with liquid is the cost adder. Right, so uh, you, the way the production works, right, and we, we have quite a bit of um, actually plane infrastructure side as well, and some of our largest investors are uh, pretty large infrastructure players like Shell, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if you look at how the um, fuel is produced, so you start ideally with green hydrogen, just like you know, a picture behind me. You start with green hydrogen, uh, which is produced from renewable sources, and then you can use that right away, the gas form you can use right away in the plane. Um, and that's what we plan to start with. But in order to use liquid, which you have to do for larger planes, because otherwise you can't get enough energy on board. So you need the liquefaction system, which that needs to convert gas into liquid. And then you need to store it somewhere, and then you need to manage the uh, uh, the boil off uh, off that because uh, you know it's a very cold temperature, and then it heats up from the ambience, and uh, and then you have um, you know 
different um, different situation uh, from the maintenance uh, perspective. So all of those things add cost yeah. to the liquid hydrogen fuel, and that cost adder is quite significant. So if you do it at the wrong time, um, then that cost adder can be um, detrimental to the business. So we think 2027 is a good time to have it. You've been increasingly defining Zeroavia not just as a company, uh, let's say, that uh, makes aircraft technology, but also as a sort of a, a player in the, in the whole hydrogen ecosystem, the whole value chain. So how do you see this whole system working? I mean, where is the hydrogen going to come from? How are you going to make sure that you or your customers, the people that use the systems that you make, are going to have access to hydrogen, that it's going to be from, from green sources, and, and that these... Um, whole supply chain is going to be is going to be in place because to me it sounds like it's one of the biggest challenges now because well we know how to make hydrogen play of course there's many things still need to be polished but but there's a whole supply chain that is built for, for fossil fuels that is not yet there for hydrogen and other other green sources yeah yeah no, that's a great question and um we think that the best approach there will be a distributed production of fuel. So this is a bit different from what you see in automotive. And the reason is the natural concentration of uh, demand in aviation, right? So there are uh, relatively few places where planes fill up, and those are airports. And there are not a huge number of airports, uh, typically uh, covering a certain amount of space. So like in the United States, for example, you have uh, 150 airports that uh, cover 97% of the traffic and 100% of the commercial traffic is just 400 locations, right? And similar sort of concentration levels uh, elsewhere, which means that every one of those locations, uh, once things start moving and conversion starts happening to, to this new fuel, every one of those locations um, has enough volume to warrant production on site, right? So you can install the equipment and you can put that storage and dispensing everything uh, on site. So then what you need is um, ideally all of that fuel is produced from renewable electricity uh, through electrolysis. So you need uh, a high capacity electricity line uh, going into the airport. So transmission lines going to the airport. And we actually have done over the last, uh, especially six months, six, six, nine months, we've done a lot of profiling uh, of airports worldwide on the uh, uh, you know level of transmission access uh, how much electricity might be made available how do we connect airports that are not yet connected to the uh, uh, transmission lines that are nearby we understand what the um, you know distances are that we need to work with um, on the on the power uh, delivery it's always e much easier to deliver electrons than deliver pretty much anything else, right? It's wires, you can, you, you can lay out wires in whatever configuration you want um, versus, uh, you know, for example, pipelines or um, delivery over roads uh, of that, those volumes of hydrogen becomes prohibitive pretty quickly because of the high volume that's required. Um, so we're really thinking that it's the distributed story um, and uh, we have done quite a bit of work around that. Um, my previous company um, that I mentioned um, built the, uh, the platform for charging infrastructure and had the largest uh, grid-enabled, uh, smart grid-enabled charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. Uh, we're planning to use some similar uh, approaches uh, here for production of hydrogen that further reduces the cost 
uh, of hydrogen. So I think we have a pretty good story there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that's a that's a story that has uh, got the attention of quite a quite a quite a few major players in in this industry because you've been um, closing new funding rounds constantly these last couple of years. Some major names you 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 mentioned some like Shell, Amazon, also some some major airlines. I think Alaska Airlines, United Airlines, I think IAG, the IAG Group. So. Yeah, uh, it reads like a who's who of the aviation industry. Um, what are the expectations? Are they um, are all these investors aiming to also become users of the system? Uh, I mean, what what are the what are the expectations here, and what are the next milestones that you have in mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's uh, that's reflective of uh, you mentioned that uh, you know we were pioneers and uh, and the first to. Um, uh, to really think about how we're going to move the um, commercial aviation, right? So when I started the company five years ago, uh, there were a lot of projects around, uh, you know, flying drones, basically, or flying cars. And there's still a lot of those. Uh, but um, while they're quite interesting technically, perhaps, um, they don't do anything to the impact of the big aviation. Right, of uh, that constantly increasing traffic and we're burning fuel, fossil fuel in those. So I really wanted to go and solve that after you know, uh, successfully building my previous company in automotive space, I wanted to go to aviation. So we, we started with that mission and I think all, the, all those investors and uh, uh, customers um, reflect that, that uh, they believe in this approach and they see us as the uh, driving force uh, for this and they want to uh, uh, have early access uh, to those solutions. Uh, they want to also understand how the solutions will work uh, with their networks, uh, for example. So all of those investors um, from the airline side, from the operator side that you mentioned, um, are working with us quite closely on looking at their specific networks, looking at their hubs, looking at where where they do fueling of the aircraft, where they do maintenance of the aircraft, how's that gonna work uh, with this new hydrogen system, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we have uh, yeah, some uh, top uh, airlines, so United, American, British Airways, uh, IAG Group, of course, uh, Alaska, uh, all of these are customers and investors. Um, and then on the investor side, of course, uh, you know, Amazon and Breakthrough Energy Ventures. So this is uh, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, Bill Gates Fund. They supported us from the very beginning uh, from our Series A back in 2020. And uh, Shell uh, was in there as well. On the infrastructure side, they're quite interested. Then we've added um, uh, some specialized investors like uh, AP Ventures uh, based in the UK. That is uh, the most uh, advanced deep tech uh, fuel cell investor out there. Um, so it's uh, quite important for us as well. So really great ecosystem. Uh, on top of that, we built some partnerships uh, with a number of airports. I think that the, the number is around 10 right now. Uh -huh. um, and the latest uh, network we announced uh, includes Glasgow Airport and a few others in the UK. We have uh, agreements in Canada. We have agreements in the in the US, um, continental Europe, uh, right? So this is reflective of uh, airports really wanting to bring this um, these operations uh, to their locations. And they're also pretty excited about this distributed infrastructure approach because that gives them more control over fuel economics delivery uh, and the business potential, uh, frankly. And then 
lastly, on the uh, partnership side, but definitely not least, um, we've built uh, partnerships with uh, seven uh, airframe manufacturers, aircraft manufacturers. Many of those are announced. Uh, some of those haven't been announced yet. Uh, out of those announced, uh, Textron is the largest manufacturer of uh, you know, small uh, aircraft, commercial or, or private, right? Cessna, Beechcraft, yeah. uh, all those brands. BP fell yeah. recently as well. So yeah, 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 right. Uh, great, great acquisition for them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, and I think that reflects uh, how serious they are uh, also about uh, the electrification. Because for, uh, for a good while, uh, people were looking at uh, Textron and saying, well, wh where is their play uh, in sustainable aviation? Uh, but uh, they, uh, they were doing the work in the background. And uh, I think their culture is uh, uh, talk less, do more, which uh, actually we, we like quite a bit because uh, um, uh, that's how we think about things. And at Zero Avi as well, we, we uh, uh, put our technology uh, in the real systems, put them in the real airplanes, uh, 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 try to test them as much as possible, um, as opposed to kind of just talk about what can be done. So yeah. those airframe manufacturers are quite important. Um, and we're the only company that has these types of partnerships that enable us to deliver this technology uh, in a seamless way across all these three segments that we mentioned early in the yeah. in, in the pod, right? Um, the small aircrafts, the large propeller aircraft, and regional jets with uh, Mitsubishi heavy industries. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because when it comes to retrofit, let's say we are in 2027, you've got all your, your power, power trains certified. How do you see these systems being implemented? Are you aiming for the operators, like these airlines, for example, that we mentioned, to start uh, retrofitting their fleets or, the, or through these OEMs, for example, with which um, you have agreements to start adding this as an option to new customers? How do you see this unfolding? And in practical terms, uh, in practical terms, let's say if I'm an operator, maybe a few years from now, I want to retrofit my, my fleet. What should I do? What would be the way to go? Yeah, and uh, these operators that I that we both mentioned, um, that's what they're already, uh, you know, pre-wiring to do, right? And this is they have certain fleets, um, and they're buying new airplanes as well, right? So whenever we uh, go to the uh, airframer, airframe manufacturer, typically the relationship is includes the uh, retrofits. Um, and line fit. Line fit is when you know you buy a new aircraft, and the aircraft already gets delivered with uh, new engines, right? And so the, uh, the the certification environment is quite similar uh, for the retrofits and the uh, and the line fits if it's the same uh, airplane model. Uh, so for the operator, they start typically um, our operators uh, operator customers start with retrofits of their existing fleets and. That's what they like quite a bit, actually, because uh, they don't have to just trash their existing fleet, which is in a lot of cases just midlife, sort of, you know, mm -hmm. pretty capable aircraft. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it burns fossil fuel, but it's an it's a good aircraft, and you, you can operate it for a number of years. But uh, you know, if you want to convert everything to uh, zero emission, then you would have to just um, uh, you know write it off, and nobody wants to do that. It's not not very economical. So they really appreciate the uh, the approach that allows them to extend the life of their fleet um, and utilize it in a in a clean form. But then invariably, as we get this part of the fleet converted and people see how it can be used practically in their uh, operations, 
they want to put more of that aircraft uh, in service. And that's when the line fit comes in. And that's when we go together to the manufacturer and uh, manufacturer builds new aircraft and puts uh, our engines on, on the wing uh, right at the factory. Well, let's hope that we're going to start seeing some of these airborne before the end of this of this decade, uh, which will mean that we are yeah, absolutely as an industry on the, on the right track. Um, well, I think it's, it's been a fascinating, fascinating overview of what you guys are up to. To learn more about, about ZeroAvia, uh, any resources you recommend? Yeah, ZeroAvia.com. It's, uh, it's great. And, um, you know, we've been uh, also uh, hosting this um, uh, Hydrogen Aviation uh, Summit uh, for the last three years. Uh, and we uh, keep all the uh, recordings uh, of uh, those events, which uh, have over a thousand registrations in the last one uh we keep all the recordings on our site as well so that's uh, that gets uh a lot of uh information uh, uh stored there as well on what we do and what the industry is doing around hydrogen so uh, i encourage the listeners to uh take a look at that excellent i'll definitely add the links uh, thank you so much once more much success with your project appreciate thank it thank you before you go and if you like this podcast a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify or whichever platform you are using or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.